Another Way to Play, episode 68. You know, I've always been told just through all my sales careers, problem plus solution always equals a sale. This is Nick Durso, founder of Muscle for Your Hustle. And if you want to learn to make the next chapter of your life better than the last, then you should be listening to Another Way to Play with my good friend, Hans Struzina. Welcome to Another Way to Play, your wake-up call to finally make a difference by creating a life defined by freedom. This is about entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and industry professionals that have left the 9-to-5 rat race behind by taking that personal leap from where they were to where they want to be. It's time to stop going through the motions, stop hitting the snooze button on your life, and get the insight and inspiration to make the next chapter of your life better than your last. This is Another Way to Play with your host, Hans Struzina. This is Another Way to Play. I am your host, Hans Struzina, and I believe that if you trade hours for dollars, you will never achieve true freedom in your life. Today's guest is Nick Durso, founder of Muscle for Your Hustle. And if you haven't heard of that yet, don't worry. You will know exactly what it's all about when you listen to the rest of this episode. But to give you a little bit of a sneak preview, Nick did this interview sitting on a beach in Belize because that's what he does now. He travels all over the world and runs a business remotely. Nick started out his life as someone who did a lot of side hustles, specifically on eBay and uh, then onto Amazon, selling textbooks, selling used wine corks of all things, and trying to make money doing that in his teens and into college life. Then once he left college, he got the bug to move to New York City and try and make it in the big city. He eventually got himself to the medical device space, and he's got a great story of what he did to land his first job. So listen up for that piece of advice. And ultimately, through some travels he did on his work, realized that he didn't want to be stuck doing something in a in a rat race environment when he could be out traveling and experiencing the world. And so he very, very quickly did an about face, left that company and learned how to travel, renting out his space in New York on Airbnb, turning that into an income stream and then generating income online. And we get into all of that in this interview. One really key piece of advice that Nick gives is problem plus solution always equals sale. That comes up in his life multiple times, and it's a piece of advice that you're really going to want to listen to and take to heart because I think it absolutely rings true in no matter the environment that you're in. Before we dive into this interview, just want to remind you that if you're getting value out of this show, whether it's this episode or any others that I put out, if you would do me a huge favor, head over to iTunes, leave a rating and review because it really helps me grow and gain critical feedback because I do read all those and uh, would mean an awful lot to me to help get the show boosted in the algorithms as well as just give me the feedback that you are willing to share. And if you do want to connect on a more personal basis, my Calendly link is always down in the show notes. I'd love to get to know you a little bit better. So let's hop on a 15 minute call, um, just meet each other briefly, get to know each other a little bit and see how we can potentially add more value to one another, whether it's through the podcast or on a more personal basis. So without any further ado, this is my interview with Nick Durso. Nick, man, thank you so much for being on the show. Really excited to have you on. 
course. Thank you for having me. And for those of us who are not watching the video, you're literally sitting on a beach while we're recording this. And I think that just shadows your story so well. And I love that you're doing that. Frankly, it's making me jealous. I, I wish I was joining you. Yeah, it's pretty, uh, pretty nice. The sun's about to go down. It's about, I mean, I think 85 degrees. Absolutely. Well, you've, you've definitely built a, a really fantastic lifestyle for yourself. I really want to get into that. But before we get there, let's just back up and build a little bit of context for the audience just so they understand a little bit more about you and your backstory. So why don't you take us back and, and tell us where your journey really began? Yeah, so um, I think really my journey began, my dad was a pilot and he wasn't really into any sort of like business type of situations. He was more of like an engineer and a mechanic working for UPS. And I remember being uh, back in high school, um, kind of when the, the eBay era started, maybe like uh, 2003, 2004, it was kind of at the time where Beanie Babies were around mm. and like Beanie Babies and eBay was just like a big thing. So I remember going to like McDonald's and they would have these, you know, the Happy Meals, they would have the, the sets of Beanie Babies. So you'd go to McDonald's and, and um, sell Beanie Babies online on eBay. And I remember having to go to my mom and dad telling them, you know, can I use your credit card? Can I use your, you know, your information? Because I was in high school, I was young. And that kind of grew into something that I started doing from the basement. Uh, we had a Gateway 2000 computer and I started selling just random stuff. And then what I found was the little DSL connecting pieces to the internet were worth a lot of money back then. Um, oh, yeah. So my mom got really mad at me that I sold the DSL uh, little connecting pieces from all the upstairs phones, not the one that was connected to the computer downstairs. She was like, what the hell are you doing? We need these for the internet. So I had to find more ways uh, to utilize and get more feedback on my eBay. So I started looking and finding out different products that would sell. Honestly, I don't really remember the research process back then, but I just remember like finding weird and random things that were selling. And one of the things that was easy to get and worth kind of a lot of money was um, corks, wine corks. Mm. So I was talking to my mom and she was like, well, why don't we just, uh, why don't we just contact like all the restaurants and get some people to get the restaurants to save them for us. So we did Mondays, we'd wow. go to one restaurant, Tuesdays, another one, Wednesdays, you know, we'd go and a hundred wine corks would sell for a hundred bucks. I don't know if the people were using them for, you know, arts and crafts or whatnot. So fast forward a couple of years, I remember I paid for my first car in high school in cash, which most people like my age, their moms and dads were buying. I got a 1995 Toyota Camry um, mm -hmm. with gold rims. And, uh, <laughs> so, you know, I, I paid for that. That was like basically from like wine cork money. And wow. my aunt one time got me a puzzle from the, from it was a puzzle of the Twin Towers from New York at a dollar store. You know, after 2001, the Twin Towers was a big thing. I sold that on eBay for over a hundred dollars because it was like a thousand piece puzzle. Oh, and wow. I told my aunt, like, can you get any more of these? Fast forward a couple of years, 
I was in high school again. At the end of high school, basically everybody kind of got rid of their textbooks. So when they would get rid of their textbooks at the end of the school year, it was kind of like, oh, last day of school, like, let's go, you know, woohoo. And I remember collecting all the textbooks and being like, I bet I could sell some of these on eBay. I stuck around. My mom came in her van. We went to the dumpster outside at like 5 p.m. after the last day of school. I just jumped in the dumpster, grabbed as many textbooks as I could. We sorted them out in the basement at my house. I sold like, I don't know, it was like 11 or 15 15 Bibles for like 700 bucks to a school in Texas. And I was like, whoa. So I only had just a certain amount of books. I sold some books that year. And then I went to college. Um, I went to college. I didn't really think about it. I had a bunch of money saved up. Um, I went to Xavier University in Cincinnati. The -hmm. deal was we'll we'll cover the cost of school um, as long as you know you get good grades and you do uh, the right thing and this and that. And so that was kind of like the rules. When I got out of school, I graduated. I actually graduated uh, a semester early with two degrees in marketing and information technology. After that, I had maybe like two grand worth of credit card debt had two grand of credit card debt and I was done with school and I called one of my buddies up that had uh, a truck and asked him, Hey man, you know, is it possible? Maybe I can use your truck. I want to go collect some textbooks, whatever I make after the 2000, me and you can split it, but can you help me? So we sat down, we built out like an Excel spreadsheet. We Googled a bunch of different high schools in the city. Like I was living in Kentucky at the time, basically from Louisville, Kentucky up to Indianapolis to Cincinnati And like Lexington, we just hit up as many schools as we possibly could. We got a ton of textbooks. Wow. Um, We made 40 grand by mistake pretty much from like May to July. And we were just selling them on on Amazon and eBay. Um, This was like 2010, 2011. So at that point, we kind of were like, "Ah, what do we do with this money? Like, I mean, yeah, I could split it, but we should like maybe build something. So we built this website. And if you're familiar with Chegg.com or like textbooksrus.com, basically we built this website. You'd scan the ISBN number on the back of the book. It would put it into our, our internet website. It would scan Amazon on the back end, see what the seller rank was. And then depending on if it was selling for a hundred bucks, we'd offer you a price for maybe 30 bucks. It was linked to our UPS shipping account then, you know, you just put it in a box, it ships it to us. And then once we received it and the quality was good, we'd give you 30 bucks for it and then list it on Amazon for a hundred and make 70 bucks, um, minus the fees and stuff like that. And it went really well, but the thing was, it was really, it was seasonal. The window was like May to like the end of July and it was hard work really quick. After that, you know, I, I got a job. I, I was working for a job called Living Social, selling, uh, it's kind of like Groupon. Got tired of that job, bought a one-way ticket to New York. I landed a job with a company called Sanofi, selling diabetes, insulin medicine. Mm-hmm. I did that for about a year and a half in Brooklyn. Um, my territory was Brooklyn. I'm originally from New York. I grew up in Kentucky and then moved back to New York. And then I landed a job with a medical device company called Hologic and was selling uh, cervical cancer diagnostic equipment. Um, And I did that for five years and I liked it. I liked it, but it was a grind. And I realized that kind of like, it wasn't the life for me in a sense, like I grew up in Kentucky. I knew what the money was worth in Kentucky. 
and then moving back to like one of the most expensive cities in the world. Like, am I going to just do this my whole life? Just keep grinding to pay for just bills. Man, I'm struck. Sorry to, I want to keep going, but I just, I don't want to pass over some good stuff here. You, yeah. you were always sort of doing some, some side hustles with the eBay and then, you know, the textbook thing. And like, you clearly had a knack for finding opportunities that other people didn't see at a very early age, high school, and then obviously through college. I mean, you did start that website, but it was seasonal. Why didn't you start to sort of double down on some of the entrepreneurial stuff as opposed to going into medical device sales and all, you know, what most people consider a more steady, regular job. Like what, what took you in that direction first before you then came back to sort of that entrepreneurial side? Um, I think at that point, like I was like 21, 22 years old, I guess kind of like the, oh man, it would be awesome to live in New York City. Uh, mm. That would be cool to do that. And like at the same time, the textbooks were a seasonal thing. To me, it was kind of like a fake kind of get rich quick thing, but it wasn't yeah. sustainable. On a bigger scale, it would have been. The company that we sold it to, they were big time. I think Chegg actually bought them. It was called Textbooks R Us. They were based out of Columbus, Ohio, and they were doing thousands of books. I needed a whole team. I needed all this. I needed, I needed drivers. I needed trucks. I needed all kinds of things. Yeah. Um, but I think the oh, that would be cool to live in New York again. You know, let me move to the big city and see what I can do there. Um, it was kind of like the journey of, mm. I want something bigger and better. And I know that I can, I can get to that point. That kind of was like the, I guess the silver lining for me to move on to the next chapter. Looking back at it now, I think that's what it was. What's interesting is a lot of people say like, and what I sort of frankly expect you to say is like, I got this degree, I need to go put it to use in like a safer, stabler space. But you actually said that you were looking for sort of the adventure and the excitement of it and of New York City in that particular case, but you were trying to get something out of it other than just a job. And it strikes me that you were sort of always looking for, at least at this point in your story, those kinds of opportunities like where's an inefficiency here where's an opening that i can sort of get something out of this not necessarily in a selfish way because that maybe makes it sound that way but always sort of looking for for an opportunity i guess yeah and <laughs> so when i started interviewing for the for this company um sanofi i didn't have medical sales experience for me i'm just like the type of person that when someone tells me no it's not going to work out or something I'm kind of like, all right, challenge accepted. What do I need to do to prove it? And I remember the recruiter had told me, you know, uh, yeah, you have good experience, but it's not what they're looking for. And I was like, okay, well, <laughs> tell me what they're looking for because just get me in front of these people and I can prove to them I have the skills it takes to get to this point. That was kind of like my drive. And I remember I, I bought a one-way ticket to New York and I asked my uncle, Hey, you know, Uncle Bob, can I, can I stay with you? I don't know how long it's going to be, but my goal is I want to land a job that's sustainable. I want to move to New York. And the recruiter got me in front of these people, but she gave me like a little homework assignment. I don't remember what it was. I had to do some sort of like little project for her. Long story short, I made it to the interview in Newark Marriott Hotel. And I was sitting there with the hiring manager and the regional director and there were 12 other people. And I was like 22, 23 at the time. And the people that I was interviewing against, I mean, they had all the experience. 
Um, I think the recruiter just kind of felt like, hey, we need to give this guy a chance. And the last question he asked me was, you know, why should we hire you? Why would you be the best fit? And I stood up and I, in the middle of the interview, and I said, you know, I came here with a one-way ticket. I don't have a plan B. Every other candidate has a plan B. I'm the man for the job, and I know that you guys are making phone calls at 4.30 this afternoon to hire someone, and I expect a phone call. And this is sales, and have a good day. And I stood up, and I shook his hand, I walked out, and I closed him. That's what they wanted. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And I got a phone call. It wasn't 4.30. I was freaking out. It was like 5.45. And I kept texting and calling the lady like, hey, I thought they were going to call at 4.30. And she was like, yeah, they're just making decisions. And I landed the job. And I think that was like, you know, just the challenge of, nah, you're not good enough for it to watch me. I love that distinction in that story. Thank you for sharing that. So you get into this role relative to some of the other applicants you may have on paper at least been sort of underqualified, but you clearly presented in a way and you clearly had some experience that was valuable. You get into that role and it starts to go well, I'm assuming you're in it for five years. Where does that then take you? Fast forward to the end of that time. Yeah, so that job that I I shook his hand and left, um, I ended up leaving that job about a year and a half later and getting a job for this company called Hologic. And I worked there for five years. It was great. It was really great because it was really challenging. It went from you know, these little tiny conversations in pharmaceutical sales of, hey, can you just sign this, uh, you know, can you just sign this iPad and I'll send you some samples and the next patient, you know, why don't we get them started on that to, it was challenging. It was, I, I was learning messenger RNA transcription in the human genome. And like, it brought me back to my science classes and incorporating that into the sales process. And like, just doing like, like it was challenging. Um, it was hard and it was fun because I would go into these doctor's offices and again, they would be like, no, I don't have any time. And you just have like five seconds in Brooklyn. No one speaks English. You know, the doctors are speaking Chinese, Russian, um, Spanish, you know, it's, it's a difficult, it's out of my element too. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, doctor, how do you decide who gets this test? And it's like, the doctor kind of looks at you like, that's a weird question. What do you mean? like step into my office. What do you mean? How do I decide? And then you just get them right there. And then, you know, you start asking these questions and it was the whole process behind like going from just walking in the, in the door to sitting down in their office, telling you that I only have three minutes. What do you got to spending 45 minutes and then being in a scientific conversation was like so much fun to me, but wow, you know, four years into it, five years later, it became very, very redundant to the point of like, all right, now I'm like really confident in what I've got, what I'm doing. This is easy. What's the next thing? And it became the corporate world of just, they would tell us that we had new products coming. No products would come. They would change up our sales incentives. And it just became sort of like a game back and forth between the employee and the company to try to figure out new ways to motivate us. At that point, like I had to hedge my bet. When I would travel for work, I would rent my place on Airbnb. I would make, you know, um, make a little bit of extra money while I was traveling for work, which would relieve a little bit of extra um, rent money that would have to be paid every month. So yep. if I was traveling, you know, my rent was, I think, 1600 bucks in Brooklyn. And if I traveled for a week with work, I was making 500 bucks. Now it went down to 11 And I'm like, 
all right, so now I'm making money from work. I'm making money from Airbnb. This kind of seems a little promising. Why don't I start looking into like a house? Like I should buy a house and run the data and kind of figure that out. Because if I can do that, now I got the New York money coming in. I can move back to Kentucky and make the same amount of money with another job with a house in Kentucky or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. it just mm-hmm. became it, it it's kind of opened up like this opportunity of like, oh, well, now I could do two things at once. But the second thing, it doesn't require my time. It just requires something that needs to just be there. So the Airbnb thing came in, not by necessity, but just like, hey, this is an idea that I have. I can potentially make a little bit of side money and just you know put someone in my apartment all the way to like, let me find a, a real estate investment that I can actually use to sort of leverage a, a bit of a lifestyle. Yeah. Um, and it kind of just came by accident, kind of similar to the textbooks. You know, I've always been told just through all my sales careers, problem plus solution always equals a sale. And I kind of looked at the Airbnb situation like that. Like when I travel, I'd rather stay in an Airbnb over a hotel just because Mm -hmm. it's kind of a little bit more personal. You get to meet the host. That's a local person there, not the guy at the front desk. You know, I've, I've taken some of my, my Airbnb guests out for a drink, like hang out, get to know them, network with them. They're cool people. And then it kind of turned into, all right, well, let me do some research. So I spent about two years in Brooklyn looking around for houses. You know, I, I didn't know, do I want to buy a one family house? It's a little bit cheaper. You know, if I buy a bigger family house, I'm going to have to take out a bigger loan, but God forbid something happens and I default on the loan, then I kind of screw myself. But let's just say I get married and have kids and we're relying on the extra room being rented out. Do I want to set myself up for failure because I was relying on that and then I kind of screwed myself in the sense of, Mm -hmm. okay, now I have children. Now that room is the child's room. Like, what do I do? It was stressful. New York real estate is like... I mean, the neighborhoods I was looking in the first year, by the next year, it went up 60, 70 grand. You know, yep. it, it, just, it just went up. And then I was like really thinking about the money, like, ah, damn, if I don't make a decision quick, it's just going to keep going up and up and up. Finally, I kind of took a step back. I went and looked out at a bunch of houses and I just kind of went through the process and I started making offers on houses. I started talking to lawyers and I started trying to fail as much as I could to figure out are these people trying to take advantage of me? The lawyer wants money. The real estate agent wants me to close on it really quickly. He's telling me that the other guy, it, you know, it's Brooklyn. If I did this in Kentucky, it's a completely different story. Right, um, right. But like New York is just so cutthroat. And it was, I would call my dad and ask him and he's like, ah, oh, Nick, you know, I don't know. Things have changed ever since when I was there. I don't know. And it's not like Kentucky when I bought the house in Kentucky. All my aunts and uncles, they bought houses 30 years prior. So yeah, I ended up buying the house. And when I did that, I realized, all right, now I have two incomes coming in. And then everybody just started asking questions. Like, how did you do that? What are you doing? You know, that's awesome. How do you save this amount of money? How, do, how are you able to afford this? How? And then now it became another problem. Now I'm working on the solution to make the sale. I love what you said there. Problem plus solution equals sale. That's such a simple formula, but it holds so true. And gosh, every way that I can think of and obviously plays out in your story in, in a lot of different ways. So you 
pulled the trigger on this house. You, you start doing the Airbnb thing in it. And then a lot of other people like see the example that you've set maybe unintentionally, but you've set this example and then they want to like get a piece of that or a taste of that in some way for themselves. Is that when you decided that it was time to potentially, you know, change your lifestyle in a big way or, or did, did the next chapter come in in a, some, some other fashion? I don't know. I mean, it's kind of all unintentional. Like I never thought that I would be, I would be here doing what I'm doing. I met this guy uh, in Florida at a work trip. So usually for my work trips, I would, I would go maybe like a weekend before because the flight was paid for and we were down right. in Clearwater Beach, Florida in, in St. Was it Clearwater? No, it was St. Petersburg, Florida. So I went down like on a Friday afternoon and the meeting didn't start until Monday, but I wanted to scuba dive. So I went down there and um, I was just calling up a bunch of scuba diving shops. One of the guys was like, yeah, you can come with us. We're going to go to Ocala, Florida in this uh, basically like a cave, like a cavern dive. And so I went with him and he was like, by the way, I have this trip planned uh, to go to Bonaire in June. This was in February. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. Yeah, you know, give me your phone number. Maybe I'll I'll get in touch with you, whatever. My boss was a really good guy. Like, he, he was awesome. Um, I really looked up to him. He really taught me a lot of stuff. He was all, he was a friend, and he was also my mentor. And um, he ended up leaving in February of 2019. Mm. And I was really bummed about it because he kind of, like, held our team together. At that point, I was kind of like, you know what, I think, he, if he's making a change, I've been here for five years. Like I need to change. And I remember this guy that I went scuba diving with and I texted him, Hey, what's up, man? You know, I remember you talking about this. Maybe I'll go scuba diving with you in June. Long story short from February to June, I kind of like cut back on my, my workload. It's in sales. So I had it all working for itself in the sense of being able to achieve my quotas, just doing the, the normal day, everyday processes um, of you know, my sales stuff. But in June, I ended up going to Bonaire. And I don't know, I just was underwater scuba diving and the shark just pulled up on me. And I was like, I'm getting paid for this right now. Like I'm on vacation. I don't want to go back to New York. Like how many people get to have a shark just like right in front of them? And I just remember like thinking to myself, like, this is cool. So I remember coming out of the water and I went back to the hotel and I canceled my flight. And I bought another flight to Cartagena, Colombia. And I was like, I always wanted to speak Spanish. Maybe I'll just, I don't know. I'm over this job. Like if they fire me, it's okay. I got the Airbnb money coming in. Maybe I'll just figure it out from there. So I went to Colombia for a month and took Spanish classes. And I was like, yeah, I'm definitely not going back. <laughs> um, and I was at this birthday party with some friends that I had met in Colombia from my Spanish class. And I was sitting on this island at this bar. I don't know if it was like Saturday or what. And I was like, there's no way I'm going back to this job. Like, this is my life. For the past month and a half, I've been scuba diving and I've been on this island and just hanging out, learning Spanish. Like, this is way better than doing that. And I'm still making money from the Airbnb. I didn't tell my job. Um, <laughs> I didn't tell them, but my sales were still doing it. I was working from the computer at I worked from home, so it wasn't necessarily like I had to be somewhere. Like, sure, did, right. They would have definitely known. 
I called a friend in Arizona and I was like, Hey man, uh, you think you can go take a look at this car for me? And if it's good, can you buy it? And I'll just wire you the money. I think I'm going to drive to Argentina. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my goodness. I, was like, I think that's just what I want to do. And that's what I did. And now that I kind of, I guess like followed my heart and followed all of this, like on my Instagram and my Facebook and stuff like that, people have really resonated with it. Like, wow, you're so brave. It's such an inspiration and, and this and that. And for me, it was like, I didn't really think about it. The more I thought about it, I probably would have talked myself out of it. I kind of just went with it. And now again, here it is. They have a problem. I found the solution and I'm trying to sell these classes on the authenticity behind not teaching you how to make money but how to build the right habits to get you to the point where you want to have some sort of freedom, whatever it might be. For me, it's traveling. One of the guys that's going to be in my class, he's a tennis professional and he mm -hmm. wants to get out of his work to start his own tennis program, but he is tied down by having to go to work to pay for his bills because he right. has the rent and his time is tied up where he can't do that. That's where I'm at. Um, I'm sitting here in Belize driving to Argentina building out classes and it's just kind of a combination of being 16 years old going to the restaurants getting corks to sitting here quitting my six-figure job scuba diving the world and trying to build out these classes that's incredible man thank you for for sharing all of that I mean I think a lot of people would look at your story and be like, yo, like that's cool for you, but I have no way that I can just pull out of, of work for a month, work remotely and go scuba diving. But I resonate with what you're doing and I want to pursue freedom for myself. And I imagine that's sort of the idea of the class, but like when you encounter people like that, what kind of advice do you give them if they are in that sort of nine to five world with their job, but they want to move towards a life like what you've created? So the first thing I would ask them is what kind of systems and processes do you have to save money? And they would say, you know, I got my 401k and this and that. And then I ask them, what kind of cell phone do you have? And they pull out the iPhone 11, the iPhone 10. And I say, what was wrong with the iPhone 7? Your habits of money spending are way off. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I don't know your situation, but... I can help you build the right habits to get to where you want to be, but it's a mindset change. And that mm -hmm. mindset is get rid of the iPhone 11 and stop paying for shit that you don't need. Um, yeah. I can get the money to work for you on a small scale from let's put $5 into these accounts and these ETFs. And over the next 10 years, you will have more money generated for you from just little tiny amounts of investments. When I say that to them, they have no idea what I'm talking about. They know that they need to do that, but they mm -hmm. don't know how to get to that point. Right. You don't have to overcomplicate it. A lot of people think, oh yeah, you know, I have Robinhood and I have stocks and I have my 401k. Yeah. Well, are you automating it? Do you have it going in there every day or are you just buying Apple stock and you're buying the new hottest stock and then trying to sell it and tell people that you're investing? Yeah. I think from that perspective, no matter how much money you make, I mean, there's a book called the, the what is it called? The Millionaire Next Door. Mm -hmm. if, you ever read, if you ever read that book, The Millionaire Next Door, they don't make a million dollars. It was just time. And yeah. I had been doing this since I was younger 
it doesn't matter necessarily how much money you make. It matters about automating all the processes to get your money to work for you. The thing now that I see on Instagram and Facebook ads and stuff like that, it's oh, make $10,000 a month. You know, you can drop ship and we'll get you started today. Maybe that works for some people. For me, I'm more of a long-term type of guy. Um, maybe it doesn't reflect in my jobs that I only had for a year and a half and five years. Yeah. But like from the money perspective, it's it's a long-term game for me. And I can teach you the long-term game for that. That mindset shift I think is huge because you're right. If we're all chasing even just likes and comments on social media, but get rich this month, 30 days or less, you know, retire by the time you're 40, four hour work week. Like there's a lot of truth in all of that. There's a lot to be learned from those types of strategies. Absolutely. But when you start to think of things as a 10 or 15 or 20 year horizon, especially when you take, you know, an iPhone that you're spending God knows how much money on um, and take that money and put it into a vehicle that, can start to pay you and you start to see things as potential investments in the future. Like that mindset, when I was hit with it was, was huge. And I think it is probably just the same way for pretty much everyone else when they get it. And the other thing is like, prior to all of this, I was brought up like, you go to school, you get a job, you buy a house and you make money, you save for retirement. And yep. when I left all of that, my whole mindset has just shifted to the point of like, you know, I just want to be free. I mean, granted, like, yeah, I'm selling these classes. Money is the vehicle to allow me to do this. Money is the vehicle for everyone to allow you to do whatever you want. You know, if you're focusing on stuff that you don't enjoy doing, that's when you become like upset and, you know, oh, this, this job sucks. I hate this. And you become miserable. And it, for me, I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to teach you how to make money. I'm just trying to help people get to the point to where they can do the things that they want to do. And for me, it's traveling. I don't have the answers for everything, but I can get you to my point. And for you, it might take, you know, maybe two years. For someone else, it might take four years. But if you really want to put the time and effort into it and build those habits out, I have a system that will help you do that. But it's not really about money. It's really more along the lines of just being happy. I've never been as happy as I've ever been in my life until this point in time because I took these chances and I did that. And to look back on it, it's like, man, I'm so glad that I did that. Like, I, I don't care what anybody else thinks. Like, I'm just happy. That's awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. We're getting to the end of the time in the show here. And I could really keep going with you for a while and maybe we'll have to have you back on maybe once you've made it to Argentina or something. But I do want to transition us to the last section of the show called the Focus Five, which is the same five questions I ask every guest on every show. Are you ready? I'm ready. First question is, what book have you gifted most often? I've been doing this to like every single person I've seen traveling on this trip. My girlfriend had told me about this author, Mark Manson, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. And it's a really good book. I mean, once you realize where you should like put your time and energy into and your values and your morals, it's a game changer. And Mark Manson, he writes it in a very conversational way, kind of like bro-y type. You know, he's cursing a lot, but he goes deep. And I have sent it to my mom. I just actually gave it to this girl today that I was talking to. Just everybody, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck is a great book. 
Mark Manson is like one of the couple authors that if I could have a writing style of anybody just copied yeah. into me, it would be him. Yeah, he's got a good writing style. <laughs> if you could get an hour of somebody's time, past or present, live or dead, and ask as many questions as you wanted, who would that person be and why? Alan Watts. He's a philosopher. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Um, I'm not. You should check him out on YouTube. He's got a lot of cool... I think he was maybe like 1950s, 1960s. But he's a philosopher. And, you know, living in Brooklyn for six, seven years is cool. There's a lot of diversity there. But then traveling through all of Mexico for the past six months, being in different countries like this, uh, it's really opened up my eyes and my mindset to accepting other people and really like focusing on kind of life and not like what we've all been kind of taught to focus on. And I think Alan Watts, he genuinely like just took a look at all kinds of philosophy in the sense of the mindset, people around you within yourself. And, and Mark Manson does the same thing. Like, I think like Mm -hmm. those types of people, the intellectual conversations that they have are really, really cool. What is one thing that you believe most people would disagree with you on? Most people would disagree with me on. I would say that, I don't know, in the past like nine months traveling, I used to be really all about the money. At this point, I think money is is not important anymore. Um, granted, like, yeah, I'm selling these classes and I'm trying to make money. Everybody has to have money. But once you get rid of that, I think things begin to change. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. How do you start your day? So I've been in Key Calker and San Pedro for the past month. And after I leave from here, it's going to be a lot of driving. So I've been really buckling down on the work, taking advantage of this time because I know that it's going to be coming to an end. Um, I'm going to have to get in the car, drive south. My goal is to hit Argentina by December, which is a lot of land to cover. Um, Mm -hmm. So my morning routine lately has been, I'm going to bed like 2 a.m. every night, finishing up work, waking up at 6 in the morning. Sometimes I go for a run on the beach. I'll sit down and I'll read. I'm on my fourth book right now, February 24th for 2020. I'll read maybe about for an hour to an hour and a half. And then I hired a professional videographer to travel with me. Um, We're building out videos. We're building out movies. He's from South Africa. Um, building out a documentary. I have my camera, my drones all with me and we're really putting together a ton of content to release. I'm building out like content strategy, uh, funnels, um, editing like high-end professional videos with him and setting up emails. Like it's a lot. Um, Yeah. That's awesome, man. I try to keep like a personal work relationship with myself. Um, you know, today I went for a swim. Um, I'll go scuba diving every once in a while, maybe like once a week, just to kind of get my mind off of the work. It's a grind, man. I'm trying to set everything up to where it works for itself and I can enjoy this type of stuff for a while till I get to the next. <laughs> yeah, to the, the next, next one. Thing. <laughs> What is the best place that we can connect with you online? I would say my Instagram. Um, I'm on Instagram all the time when I have Wi-Fi or the internet traveling. Uh, It's at Durso NJ. It's my last name. D-U-R-S-O-N as in Nicholas, J as in Joseph, 
Um, from there, you know, I have my website link in there. You sign up for my email. You'll get a, a link for my LinkedIn, my Facebook group, my, you know, all of that. So Instagram at DursoNJ. Thank you so much for your time, man. I just made sure I was following you on Instagram. And if anyone else listening to this wants to connect with you, follow your story or grab some of that content you're starting to put out, head over to Instagram. I'm going to link that in the show notes, of course. That'll kind of take you for the rest of Nick's world. And thank you for coming on. Appreciate you taking some time with us and sharing your story, talking about what it is you're doing. Um, really excited to continue to watch your journey through social media. And um, thanks for bringing some great value to the audience. For sure. Thank you so much, Hans. And that does it for today's episode. Guys, if you want to connect with Nick, I've got his Instagram handle in the show notes. It's Durso NJ. So that's D-U-R-S-O-N-J. Down in the show notes, you can connect with him directly. That's the best place to find uh, all of his content as well as his website and all of that good stuff. If you want to connect with me, I am on Instagram at Chief Sna, spelled S-N-A-H. Um, but you can also, on a more intimate basis, head down into the show notes, grab a time on my Calendly link, and just book a call. We can have a chat. We can get to know each other a little bit more one-on-one. I would love to get to know you and just learn how I can continue to provide value either individually or through this podcast. If you are getting value, I would really appreciate you heading over to iTunes, leaving a rating and review. It really helps with the algorithms. And I also read those. So it really helps me gain critical feedback that I apply to the show. Every time I put out a new episode, I take all of that into consideration. So thanks in advance for all of that. And without any further ado, I'm going to sign it off for today. So this is Hans Strazina, host of Another Way to Play. And remember to make every chapter better than the last. Thanks for joining in for this episode of Another Way to Play, making the next chapter of your life better than your last. For more insights and inspiration to help you make that personal leap, be sure to engage with Hans on social media and get your questions answered right here on the show. Reach out to Hans at Chief SNAH on Instagram, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Another Way to Play.